0: Hi, this is James Down. I'm uh, being brought to you today by uh, Dave Lee's channel. Uh, we're doing an impromptu uh, chat about some recent developments in FSD stuff. And the topics we're going to cover today are the Starlink announcement with T-Mobile last night, um, The um, release notes for ten point sixty nine, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Ashok Ellaswamy's uh, CVPR talk.
1: Awesome! Yeah, thanks, um, everyone for joining in. I asked James to do the intro because I'm actually in my car near Mount Rushmore, and it's kind of hard to handle all of the recording and the note taking, or just viewing the notes and everything. So thanks, James. Um, yeah, this is awesome, man. I can't. I wanted to t- uh, talk to you actually about uh, Starlink because I thought that was an awesome announcement last night. But before mm, yeah. we do that. Um, uh, the big news this past week, Tesla stock split three to one. How does it feel having three times the the Tesla shares that you had just a few days ago?
0: I, when, when it was five times, you know, I was looking forward to 10 or 20 like that would have been great. But yeah, we're not getting to 10 or 20. So three is good. That's good. Yeah. Stock splits are, you know, they're happy making things. It's easier. It's certainly a lot easier to uh Uh, To get family members, you know, excited about buying something, where they don't have to sell a car to get a share, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, uh, Tesla stocks. With um, yeah, it feels. um, I don't know. It's gonna take me a few days to get used to those numbers because I have to Mm. translate it times three. You know, Mm. um, to see what the stock price was before. But I'm sure after by next week, I'm sure everyone will will be totally fine with the
0: the new uh, stock price. Um, I had to go through all my spreadsheets and all my models and whatnot and change all the formulas. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. I haven't done the big models yet, so those are going to be a hassle because it's the, the numbers are all in you know Python code scattered around. But yeah, we'll see. Got
1: it. Um, so Starlink uh, T-Mobile announcement. So last night, um, Elon was... Um, Previewing and it, saying it's going to be a big announcement. I thought it was going to be something like just improving T-Mobile's like cell towers, you know, especially in remote areas where they would add a Starlink okay. connection, make better, like add new towers where they didn't have towers, just improve it. But this totally, you know, yes, s- s- size yeah. right your blind spot. me. Well, like, just I'm like
0: super surprised. Yeah. I was sure that backhaul was going to be the thing because mm-hmm. I, backhaul for covering for you know for filling in the gaps. It, uh, mm-hmm. Is such uh, an important thing. And as a lot of people have said, you know, te- Tesla's got solar panels, they got power walls. You know, you could build a cell tower in a box and slap a star link antenna on it. And you could put like conventional cell towers just like exactly. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Drop them from a helicopter, you know, lower mm-hmm. them on a the mountaintop, bolt them down. Um, and I was expecting some, you know, clever, innovative uh, aggressive thing along those lines. And what we mm. got was completely different. Like I wasn't expecting okay. cell towers, regular cell phones to satellites. That's hard to do. Like that was not on my bingo card. Yeah.
1: Definitely. I mean it just feel like it it's it skipped a couple, I don't say generations or technologies yeah. where it's like forget the cell towers, go directly to the satellites. So I wanted to ask you like, yeah, what do you know about this? How difficult is it to you know, for a satellite in low earth orbit to actually connect to a yeah, cell phone. <laughs> well yeah. yeah.
0: Five hundred miles, five hundred <laughs> yeah, kilometers. True. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But, um so but what what are some of the challenges, you know, that you think Starlink is having to overcome here?
0: Uh well it, I mean the the uh, cell phones are not designed to talk to a tower 500 miles away. They're just not, right? I and mean, usually, when you build a communication system, you split the load as much as you can between the two different ends of the communication system, right? So if you want to talk a long way, you know, you split the burden of the antenna and the power and the processing sophistication kind of between the two ends. And that kind of makes the the system sort of more tractable to do. But now we have these cell phones that are designed to talk to cell towers, you know, that are maybe a few miles away, maybe 15 miles away or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they have, you know, a few hundred milliwatts of transmit power and they have decent um, they have pretty sophisticated processing for modulation techniques and that kind of stuff. But they don't have uh they don't have nearly the level of, of sort of dealing with artifacts and stuff that you might want when you're dealing with an antenna that's like 500 miles away and is moving really, really fast. Mm-hmm. So the satellite has to take on all that burden, right, which is why they're putting like a five meter antenna mm-hmm. on the satellite just for dealing with this. And and even then, they, they're only going to get, I think, you know, Elon said two two to four megabits or one to two megabits.
1: Yeah, two to four one megabits, to yeah.
0: Yeah, two to four megabits in a cell. So, I mean, it's just really, really hard. But the flip side is any amount, I mean, you know, text messages are small, messaging is super, super low bandwidth. So, like any amount of connectivity that you can get to these places where there's just none at all right now is incredibly useful to people, right? So, it, it's this interesting place. They have to throw a lot of technology and a lot of expense at being able to provide incredibly, you know, what we're used to today because, you know, cell phones are fast and the internet is fast and what seems like a really small amount of of, com- of uh, communication ability, but it's so useful if you're in the middle of yeah. nowhere, if you have an emergency, right, uh, you know, or you're just, you know, on a cruise ship someplace. And, uh, you know, even being able to carry on a text message conversation is way better than, than not having any contact at all for an extended period of time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think... Um- um, I've been following kind of these satellite phone uh, trends for the past few decades. I remember in my 20s, I was traveling to all these different countries and I carried like a sat phone just to be able to make calls and stuff. But I think before oh. this, like I- Iridium, the satellite network, was probably the, the honestly the only option, but the best option to just do emergency text call text messaging when you're like, hiking somewhere or mountain climbing somewhere. Mm-hmm. But it's extremely expensive. You know, you have to have a separate device. Um, it's just mm-hmm. impractical for almost anyone to really, you know, buy that stuff, unless you're a professional, like, expedition person. Um, but this opens up kind of, like, basically emergency text, emergency calling to almost yeah. anyone anywhere. It just is a huge yeah. no, jump. In
0: emergencies, uh it, you know when, if you when you have a natural disaster to have like a, a minimal backup that's guaranteed to work for the cell system, man, that is so incredibly. I, this is this is going to profoundly change you know emergency services in the world when when it gets distributed because the assumption that you can just reach people is 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 just different. Right? I mean here here's the thing right? Apple what this thing has a cell transceiver in it right? Mm-hmm. It's like all these people who've got who got the version of the Apple Watch that has a cell phone in it, you are never ever ever going to be out of contact, right? Yeah. If you got your watch on in an emergency, no matter where you are on earth, you know, and and Apple they have the features on the thing where like, you know, if you have an accident, if you fall down, the watch can detect it and automatically call for help, right? Like that's just totally next generation level of sort of accident preparedness, you know, for the communication system.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, in terms of like how they're doing it, it seems like they're just using the like some current cell phone band bandwidth, yeah. right? Um, and then uh, it seems like the heavy lifting is all done by Starlink, right? The, the satellite yeah. where it's going to you know basically broadcast or listen in and and uh, sem- or send out everything to the yeah. cell phones. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm guessing what what's your take on the partnership with T-Mobile? Are they doing that because Starlink isn't? Commission to, to to be a cell phone provider so they need to work with an existing you think cell phone uh,
0: probably the most important i mean certainly like billing and that kind of stuff handling that thing like having a partner that's already got all that infrastructure is a good thing i don't know maybe that uh that te- you know that spacex wants to go into the cell phone business right mm-hmm. which is why i thought backhaul was the natural fit for them but um They need a chunk of piece. They need a chunk of spectrum that they can access. And ideally, you'd like contiguous spectrum where, you know, a lot of the a lot of cellular bands are broken up regionally in the United States so that, you know, a provider, they have this frequency here and that frequency there, other frequency over here to make the first version as reasonable as possible. If you had like a band that some cellular provider owned, like over a really large area, ideally over the United States, because that's a good place to start to, to start your service, and that, so. Uh, T-Mobile has a PCS band, which is Mm -hmm. so PCS is the set of frequencies between 1850 and 1990 or something megahertz. It's the it was the first digital cell phone band. But I think it stands for the FCC brands as personal communication system Mm -hmm. frequencies. It's a good band to use for this kind of of stuff, just like its physical characteristics are good. And T-Mobile has a slice of that. That, that where they have 100% coverage everywhere in the U.S. So by partnering with T-Mobile, one thing Tesla or sorry, Tesla, one thing that SpaceX gets is they get it, you know, for their first go, they get a single frequency that they can just use everywhere.
1: Got it. Interesting. Do you think um, uh, Verizon, AT&T will will join in somehow on this? Or do you think for the time being, it'll just be a T-Mobile thing with uh, SpaceX?
0: Uh, it, I mean, the way that, that, they were talking about it last night I get the impression that uh, you know SpaceX is not going to be excited about the idea of trying to do a single carrier you know to provide exclusivity that's obviously attractive from the carrier end of things right, right. but uh, and and traditionally that's what you'd expect carriers to do you'd expect a carrier to want to get something that they could lock other carriers out of to, to make for an upsell because I can tell you yeah. man you know if ATT t doesn't do it I'm moving a t-mobile yeah. <laughs> I really it's it, it to me this is like it's a very significant feature to have you know emergency connectivity even though i'm never going to use it but to me it's kind it's uh-huh. like it's like having a hospital mm-hmm. like in the town i live in like i don't intend to use it but i want it there
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. so, yeah, yeah
0: it's yeah it, it, i think a partnership is, is a great way to go and i think yeah. other carriers will probably be persuaded this. and in the short Run there's a there there could be this technical limitation of how many different frequencies and how frequency agile the satellite is mm-hmm. and how big the cell sizes are and like I haven't actually looked at the frequency maps mm-hmm. I think they're mostly regional like there are places where you know different different providers uh, own different chunks of of uh, of spectrum in like metropolitan area size chunks and that could be tough for for Starlink because at least right now the cells are like 15 miles across. Mm. So they can't distinguish things that are smaller than that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It reminds me back in the day when uh, the iPhone launched and it was just AT&T mm-hmm. exclusive. Um, and AT&T got all this marketing benefit of being the only carrier mm-hmm. with iPhone and you know Apple got, you know, a cut of all that and it worked out but I mean it probably lasted a bit too long but I would imagine like the T-Mobile partnership maybe there's a time limit like 3 years. Or five years, or something more. It could be exclusive, and then it opens up where you know SpaceX does partnerships with you know AT and T and Verizon after you know a few years. But
0: we'll I would, see. I, the 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 way they were talking that the T Mobile CEO was talking about it last night. It, mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like there's no exclusivity, uh, like contractual exclusivity. And yeah. and I don't his, his uh, approach of. Wanting to, to use it as, uh, as kind of a, a way to get to mutual roaming agreements to like, you yeah. know, the, like the, the pull for T-Mobile would be to get cross roaming agreements, especially overseas. Because, mm. you know, one of the things that T-Mobile has that other carriers don't really have right now is they give you kind of free international roaming. Like that's a seller for them. Yeah. And I, I suspect they like a, a, they attract a significant number of, of customers whom that's important to. Because, I mean, you, I don't know if you use AT&T or Verizon, but you travel internationally, you get robbed. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, if you care about the cost of those yeah. services.
1: Yeah. I so, think, yeah, I think uh, Verizon's like $100, $100 a month just to go international roaming with your data. And they only give you five gigabytes. or something. T-Mobile just gives it, I think, for free. Right, it's pretty um, expensive on at Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actually headed to mexico maybe in a few weeks um, i want to take my kids to mexico city to check it out uh <laughs> should be fun wow. um yeah so um um when the t-mobile announcement happened i was like you know if it if a phone can connect to um a satellite starlink satellite then surely a tesla car could do that too because aren't they just sure. basically putting a phone or the, the components right into yeah, a tesla the existing right? cars, cellular yeah. remote uh, you know tenant all that stuff so i'm like yeah, this is probably going to happen. So, and then Elon confirmed that, you know, by replying and saying yes. Yeah. But do you think? So you're thinking that the current Tesla cars will be able to to handle? Do they, do they have the right spe- oh, yeah. spectrum?
0: No, okay. it's. I mean, if you if you have, uh, you know, a cell phone. I mean, he, they didn't say what modulation scheme they were going to go with, so we don't know if it's like two, three, four G, whatever mm. uh, that that they're doing. It may, you know, it would be interesting to know that, but uh, you know. Uh, they did say something along the lines of like any phone manufactured in the last few years or whatnot. So maybe it's a 3G I mean. modulation scheme that they're using. So, and, you know, in 3G, maybe not because 3G is getting gotten, you know, it's getting eliminated in terrestrial mm-hmm. networks right now. But uh, I would guess that, you know, if you, mm-hmm. it, that if, you, uh, certainly if you have a, a recent model, it's yeah. got a cellular transceiver in it, right? Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, that's a, that's a decent selling point, actually. You know, wherever your Tesla is, you're always going to be able to call or text for emergency. Yeah.
0: But, you um, know, OnStar will have this too. Other car mm-hmm. carriers, like anybody, any car carrier mm-hmm. that wants to use that feature, they can, they can do it.
1: Okay. Would they connect with T Mobile or, I mean, because if T Mobile has that agreement, I mean, well, I'm, if, yeah. it,
0: I, yeah, I mean they would need to have a contract okay. with a carrier that had a contract with
1: Got SpaceX, it. Got SpaceX it.
0: right? Because they they have to be able to communicate on the frequency that the satellites are able to use, yeah. and whoever owns that band of frequency, they have to both cut a deal with with uh, mm-hmm. SpaceX and cut a deal with you know whoever the end customer is. Mm-hmm. That, that's going to use it. So, right now, if that's T Mobile, then yeah, you know, if mm-hmm. T Mobile is the only carrier who's got a piece of spectrum that Starlink is allowed to use, th- then to get access to that spectrum, you have to get T Mobile's permission. So, normally you'd get a contract with T Mobile. Yeah.
1: All right. So, I want to go into uh, Tesla FSD beta 10.69. So, I wanted to talk with you about this because my general sense is that. You know, most people aren't understanding like what's improving in Mm -hmm. 10.69 and how significant some of the improvements are. And so, let's take a step back and um, um, approach it through different ways. So, I I wanted to ask you about Chuck Cook's uh, unprotected left turns. Maybe go into a Shocks presentation, who's the head of Autopilot, gave a recent presentation, um, and then also go into the release notes to kind of decode for the people out there, like exactly what improvements are but first to chuck cook's um, unprotected left turns Have you, did you see any of his recent uh videos with 10.6 yeah. yeah. oh yeah. yeah okay what's what struck me personally was like some of the 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 movements into the median and then from the medium out they were just like i mean this is night and day compared to six yeah. months ago you know i mean it's, it's a completely different Yeah,
0: beast. Yeah, I've been watching Chuck's left turn videos from from back from you know since he since he Mm -hmm. started doing them, and I have you know I've thought a lot about like what you know what things have to get better. Yeah, yeah. Because it it was never like one thing. Mm It is you know being able to make a left turn. It's built on other fundamental capabilities, right? Being able to predict things, being able to sense things, you know, being able to do planning of a certain level of complexity with certain features in it. And, uh and I was you know I was watching I was ex- not expecting them to like get Chuck's turn in this time yeah, like yeah that it's an it's an impressive yeah I, I mean I mean when I was a the, lot of things got lot yeah of.
1: exactly I'm not like you know you know um completely like you know technical understand everything, but when I looked at those turns, I'm like, I don't think most people are getting how complex it is to yeah. be able to do this like you have to basically you know be really accurate with all the lanes with all the objects with all the velocities you know you need to have pr- f- predictions you know of where everything's gonna mm-hmm. be at you know, and if anything is off, you know like it'd be extremely dangerous. you can yeah. basically get killed, and um, it's
0: important it's they didn't solve. Chuck's turn, they solve yeah, the Chuck's style turns, right? It's, to solve mm, that whole category exactly, of the turns, yeah. there's a bunch of things, because like on Chuck's turn, the visibility, it's not great, but it's not terrible. But there are Mm -hmm. other turns that are really similar to that and have much worse visibility. And the visibility is bad for different reasons, depending on how the road is approaching you and what the lighting is, what the foliage is on both sides, whether or not they're buildings casting shadows and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, your the effective visibility. You have changes and occlusions are super important, right? Near field occlusions, poles, mailboxes, trees that are in the foreground that you have to like Chuck's turn kind of demonstrates this, this class of things where there are, you know, parked cars or something near you and you have to look through them or look behind them and sort of, and sort of understand the traffic flow that you're seeing through the gaps in these things that are blocking the, you know, if your, uh, accelerator model or Mm -hmm. your brake model is crude enough, then that, then that limits your, you know, what you can do within a certain comfort profile. So now in a Chuck Cook style turn, you want to be able to get aggressive, yeah. but you don't want to be slamming people around the inside of the car. So you have to get more refined in that, like, you know, what does aggressive mean exactly? Like what what sets of controls can I do that will get me moving quick, but which won't, you know, make right. my, you know, leave bruises on the occupants.
1: Got it, that makes sense. And then basically also <clears throat> uh, improving the position, I guess that gets into the median, and interacting with objects that are entering or waiting to, to enter. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, makes general sense. So that's
0: really complicated, yeah. right? I mean, medians, they're different sizes. Yeah. Some are only going to fit one car, some will fit two, depending on whether a median is like a little to the left, the gap yeah. in the median is a little to the left or a little to the right. You might imagine that cars coming in, it might, you know, because sometimes when you turn through a median, you turn to the left of oncoming cars, and you know other median geometries you turn past the car right you go mm-hmm. to the right of the oncoming car and you turn around each other when no you idea. enter and so understanding that from the shape of the median wow. and you know is is a, is a little bit subtle but if you're if it's a chuck cook style stop because people use that median not just to turn left from C- yeah. chuck street onto the thing but to turn onto chuck street and some of them are doing u turns So you, you know, you have to look at the thing and sort of infer that all these things might be happening. And when you see a car coming or entering, like predicting like what is he doing, what what should I expect him to do and what is he expecting me to do? That's all part of modeling this dance, which you have to get right and you have to get it right quickly because you're in you're like you're playing in traffic. You're not moving very fast and cars are coming at you quickly.
1: Got it. Makes sense. Um the next piece of note says added control for arbitrary low speed. Moving volumes from occupancy network. This also enables finer finer control for more precise object shapes that cannot be easily represented by a cuboid primitive. This required predicting velocity at every three D voxel. We may now control for slow sm- slow moving UFOs.
0: Yeah. So this, you know, we we talked about how they were moving away from needing to recognize things. Really well. So one one of the things about uh about classification is the fundamental classification sort of delimiter that uh, that Tesla uses is a cuboid. It's a three dimensional volume, the minimum three dimensional volume which contains all of something. Like mm. if it's a truck, okay. you know, what's a small cube I can draw around that thing that where all of the truck is inside the cube. And then the car treats that as the boundary that it needs to stay out of. <clears throat> but when you get complicated things, uh, especially in tight situations, like imagine that you have, you know, like a utility truck with like one of those cherry pickers hanging off the side of it parked on a narrow residential road with some cones and you have to move around it. Well, you want to know that you can, you know, if the cherry pickers 20 feet up, right. Mm-hmm. And it's off to the side, you want to know you can drive under it. If you drive a draw a cuboid around that thing that includes it, it seems like it's occluding the whole road. So you need this mm-hmm. kind of more subtle understanding that, of how singular objects decompose into occupied volumes of space so that you can maneuver around them in in tight situations. And so by moving away from just recognizing and classifying things and treating them as like these, these things, especially in a situation where you where on a certain level, everything the car sees is a cube, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. That like that becomes a a big constraint in some situations and they're moving away from that. And that also gets you a thing where, if you start focusing on what's occupied, you can deal with things that you don't recognize very well. You know, like if you got a pile of dirt in the road, or mm. you got a pile of something, garbage, mm. or you know, you have a human a human being collapse on the road, but you don't recognize as a human because, you know, they have some garbage laying on them or or whatever. You can you can start to deal with just arbitrary things in the world that you've never encountered before. But which you need to understand the shape of them so that you can ground them, and they have, they apply velocity to it too. So if you see some weird thing moving, like a tumbleweed, right? So mm. I don't know if they have a tumbleweed classifier. Yeah. Maybe they do. But uh, you know, it's this arbitrary thing that's moving across the road. Like it, it's not really a static object. It's kind of a static object. It happens to be blowing, but it's not moving of its own will, right? And so, how do you deal with the fact that there's this thing moving across the road slowly? that you need to be aware of. And so geometry is a way of just dealing with all of that stuff as a single category, right? Yeah. I, even if you don't recognize it, even if it's moving, but not moving like a highway, like you know, a road user, right? Mm-hmm. You can still deal with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what does it mean by, it says, this required predicting velocity at every 3D voxel?
0: Yeah. So when you see the tumbleweed moving across yeah. the road, you know, the way the occupancy network uh you know recognizes it, it has some label for I don't know, vegetative matter or something mm-hmm. like that. It'll the 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 labels for the for the individual voxels, they're not decided by a person. A neural network figures out for, you know, I have um, you know, 128 bytes to describe what is in this voxel and I'm going to allocate them this way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, there will be some representation for that, that will map onto what, uh, what a tumbleweed is moving across the road that will capture its properties and that kind of stuff, the rough shape of it and what part of the tumbleweed that you're looking at. So you have a tumbleweed moving through a voxel. One of the things you want to understand is, is of the stuff that's in this voxel, it, you know, what of it is moving and in what direction is it moving? So, uh, if you're going to deal, you know, you're, you're kind of your choices are, you either represent velocity for every voxel, like the stuff in this voxel is moving that way at, mm-hmm. you know, one meter per second, or you don't do that. If you don't do that, then all the decisions that you, that you're going to make based on that, they have to assume that everything is completely static. So now you can't deal with the tumbleweed effectively, like if you don't want to hit it mm-hmm. or You know, if you don't want to have to recognize it as an object. So having velocity for for these arbitrary geometry things uh, is useful. Like there's a, it it enables you to make a lot of decisions well that you otherwise wouldn't be able to make. Well, but it requires you to not only evaluate that there is something here, but that it's moving, you know, such that like. One second from now, it'll be in this position, and two seconds or 100 milliseconds forward, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that means they have to label every single vo- voxel with velocity.
1: Got it. And then we may now control for s- slow-moving UFOs. I mean, is this what's a yeah. UFO? Un- a tumbleweed. Un- a tumble. Okay. Unidentified. So, something is it, you don't recognize. Is it? It's not flying object. Is it? Is what's a U? Like is, is it just an un- unidentified object or? A moving yeah, object maybe. or something? I don't know oh, what they okay. what
0: what their TLA means <laughs> yeah. in this situation, okay. but I guess just, you know, UFO.
1: Got it. Okay. Um, next release, an upgraded occupancy network to use video instead of images from single time step. Okay. Uh, this temporal context allows the network to be robust to temporary occlusions and enables prediction of occupancy flow. Also improve ground truth with semanti- semantics-driven outlayer, outlier rejection, hard example mining, and increase the data set by 2.4 times. Yeah, what does this mean? Um, upgraded occupancy network to use video instead of images from single time step. What is this single time step?
0: Sorry. The way to read this is occup- upgraded occupancy network to use video instead of images from single time step.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Got it. Right.
0: So instead of feeding... Instead of uh, training okay. the occupancy map based on single slices of time, yeah, yeah. and this is these are all this is part and parcel of having velocity for the occupancy yeah. map. Obviously, if you're going to predict velocity, you have to look at how it's evolving over time. If you're going to look at how it's evolving over time, you need to take into account multiple moments in time yeah. separated, right? And so, so they're using video. <laughs> you know, on. video is multiple images I mean, equally.
1: Specific. This seems like a, this seems like the most important update. I mean, why isn't this like number one? Uh, if you're gonna, you know, uh, move from the it, images to it, v- video, it kind
0: of feels like they're saying the same thing. A couple of, I don't know.
1: Okay, from the past, it's, <laughs> but, it's inferred, maybe from the previous. Um, yeah, it's.
0: Stuff. I don't know. It probably, if I thought about it, there would be some way of understanding this as distinct from other things that they're saying. But it does yeah. seem kind of implied by the other stuff that they're doing.
1: I mean, but I mean, would you agree that this is like? generally taking a step back one of the big things that they're doing you know with this release not just with this release probably over some period of time which is moving away from you know just it's just from single time step yeah, yeah into video from, and into this from occupancy ontology network to geometry. yeah yeah exactly
0: Or at, they're not giving up on ontology they're just yeah. relying less on it and they're mm-hmm. having better geometry and yeah. they're using it better
1: yeah yeah I mean this just seems like it's I mean yeah it's like this seems to be one of the big kind of I guess, um, I don't say milestones, but big, I guess, movements or improvements, you know, for FSD, you know, in this season, which is this occupancy network, video, you know, accounting for occlusions, allowing for predictions, just kind of like a better, more accurate perception, right, engine. Um, hmm. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. All right. Yeah,
0: the, the, the geometry thing, I'm super happy to see them, at, you know, moving more to the, because, Trying to rely entirely on classification, or rely too heavily on classification, you know, gets tricky. Like classification, yeah. you the be the bev thing is kind of uh, it's kind of this middle ground between geometry and uh, classification. I mean, you're trying to you're trying to you're getting two 3d stuff when you go to bev mm. when you use bird's eye view networks. Yeah. But you're kind of carrying the baggage of classification along with you when you go into that you're still basically saying looking from the top there's a car at this position blah blah blah, blah. but the car's still a cuboid right so if you imagine that you you have a truck driving through and it's got some weird trailer hanging off the back of a boat or something right it's like you can't it, it's it's hard to do a recognition that's going to de- be able to deal with every every single kind of thing that might be on a trailer and every kind of trailer because there are all kinds of weird trailers in the world and so, geometry kind of deals reasonably in, in those situations where your classifier is just like bumping up against a wall. Got it. So, I
1: mean, with, when you talk about geometry versus just, let's say, ontology or classifying, with geometry you could break down these objects, I guess, more yeah. specifically and and kind of it's a more granular approach, basically. Um, yeah. You see, every object becomes ontology. stuff in
0: space. Yeah. In addition to being like a human being, a human being is stuff in space. Um, but the, one of the cool things about this is that stuff in space that doesn't have a label is still stuff in space. Whereas with a classifier, you know, you kind of have this problem where stuff that you don't have a label for kind of doesn't exist, right? And so that creates these holes in in the way that you're, you know, that you can address things effectively.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, would that also help? Like, I remember this one, one situation. This was back, I think, last summer when we were driving um, FSD in my car. We went into this um, area with the gated community and there was this gate and mm-hmm. it felt like the car was just going to drive through the gate. Yeah. And it was yeah. a small gate. This is like a line thing. And I stopped. I <laughs> I, I stopped that. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. I mean, is that one example where... You know, yeah. At no, that time, it didn't example. It didn't classify that maybe at that time. Yeah,
0: well, it saw but, that thing and it's like, that doesn't look like a gate. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. So it's nothing. nothing, there, there's nothing. Right? But geometry, at least <laughs> you yeah. would say, hey, there's something there that's but, static. So the geometry
0: will say, yeah. it may not be a gate, it's still stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Got it. <laughs> yeah, it's important stuff, man. Um, all right, let's do our, our last release note. There are more release notes here, but um, I think... Um, for time's sake upgraded to a new two-stage architecture to produce object kinematics for example velocity acceleration yaw rate where network compute is allocated O object instead of O space this improved velocity estimates for far away crossing vehicles by 20% while using one-tenth of the compute
0: yeah. So this that O notation is uh it's a way of describing how an approach to solving a problem scales as the number of things you're dealing with increases. So what they did was they they essentially they went to a different they went to a, a network you know, and processing approach to dealing with objects where uh where it doesn't like um if you if you're if your if your processing goes as O space, then if you want to look twice as far down the road, it takes twice as much compute. And if you want to look four times down the road, it takes four times as much compute. In other words, yeah. but it goes as as it's not just linear stuff. It's it goes as space, right? So uh, you know, if you want to evaluate everything that's 20 feet up and a hundred feet down and hundred feet on both sides, that takes um, one-eighth as much processing as if you want to go twice as far in each one of those directions, mm, right? Sure. But the thing is, there are a lot of things in the world where you don't want to waste compute on, on all these things. Like, for instance, if, if the thing you're looking at right now, if, if the aspect of reality that you're trying to extract right at this moment is about objects, Okay. Then you don't want your compute to scale with space because you could have this huge volume of space with no objects or one object in it, and it and you know if you essentially want to you know. Uh, You know double the linear dimension that you can see distance wise in each direction you got to add eight times the compute and eight times the memory and all all you know it it just becomes very resource intensive if what you care about is objects what you want is something that scales with the number of objects so if you have four pedestrians or eight pedestrians or 12 pedestrians it scales with that and not with and this is an important thing for being able to get fsd to where you can use it on the highway Mm -hmm. right because on the highway, you're frequently in a sparse situation, but you have big distances involved because you're moving fast. You need to be able to look pretty far away. And and I, I think I'd actually brought this up, this whole scaling mm-hmm. with volume of space as being mm-hmm. a limiter for yeah. FSD. Like you you can only make the BEV map so big yeah. because the compute grows as the map gets bigger. So if there are aspects of the BEV map, like maybe you can't fit this thing that you care about Distant crossing objects, for instance, inside your bev map, but you still want a representation for them. Well, now let's, you know, let's use an approach that doesn't scale with volume, but it scales with the number of objects that are in it.
1: Got it. So this two-stage architecture, I mean, are we talking about um, first stage, let's say, it's like a occupancy network, and the second stage is these, let's say, is an object-focused thing. Thing where they're just focusing on certain objects farther out to save compute space so you get the occupancy network for things around you but then the second stage is just the objects that you think are important farther out you're just focused on those objects without having to scale right this occupancy network in all yeah. directions
0: yeah so i would say that the two stage thing is probably they have a stage that's still scaling as mm. space Mm -hmm. You know, they they, and they've added another stage of evaluation, this stuff, which is specifically focused on objects and their movements. It specifically call this as a kinematics thing. So, you know, if you're trying to evaluate if the if the relative velocity or if the if the velocities of distant objects are going to affect you, uh, you know, then. I don't know. A good example, once again, this this screams to me like it's a highway application, right? Where Because you, where you want to look pretty far, like you're merging, you know, you're driving on the freeway. We've all had, I mean, if you drive autopilot, you get that situation where you're driving and you're in the rightmost lane and there's a big truck merging, right? And as a human, you're like, you would move over, right? Autopilot has to predict what that how that that truck's velocity along its path and whether it's going to intersect right and uh, and, and realize oh i'm going to be in that space i need to either slow down or to be smooth right or maybe i want to move over a lane that's a that's a prediction of a distant crop of a distant crossing object right it's a velocity prediction but a lot of times in these situations where you're on the highway you're going down the thing The the fsd you know uh, occupancy grid or the BEV map, it might not reach far enough out to include that truck, right? So right now they've got this blind spot where there are these distant objects that you want to be considering when you make your decisions right now about what you're going to do, um, but it's too expensive to just brute force expand the FSD map so that it's big enough that it can reach out a half mile to where that truck is you can see it really clearly as a human being and you know it's going to cross your path because you can see where the stuff is going but fsd can't consider it in that basic mechanism so they've got this other thing that they've that they're that they're layering on that can basically you know it doesn't require it to fit inside the fsd the bev map or whatever it can reach out to that object and make an estimate based on it even if it's outside the grid
1: got it actually let's do one more this seems kind of important the last uh Release note updates as improved geometry error of ego-relevant lanes by 34% and crossing lanes by 21% with a full vector lanes neural network update. Information bottlenecks in this network architecture were eliminated by increasing the size of the per-camera feature extractors, video video modules, internals of the autoregressive decoder, and by adding a hard attention mechanism, which greatly improved the fine position of lanes. Okay. So, I mean, it seems like they made an a update to the vector lanes neural network, improved this accuracy, um, and then through multiple means, you know, they, they achieved that. I mean, are, are there any notable kind of things here that you're noticing?
0: Uh, no, it's, uh, well, it's interesting that they had a bottleneck at the connection between the camera networks and the, so, that, you know, they made the feature descriptions uh, that coming out of the per-camera networks bigger. Or rather, the feature that ingests it into the BEV network or the occupancy network, they made it bigger so that it could ingest more features per camera. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds like they did a number of optimizations and fairly straightforward improvements to uh, the... Uh, to the information that the uh, that the vector lanes neural network got from the rest of the system, and then they got this numerical improvement in performance of thirty four percent for ego lanes and twenty one percent. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just a. It feels like another just illustration that Tesla is doing anything and everything they can to improve their perception of you know and to create this three D model that they're using to you know navigate. Um, the world through driving. Um, Yeah, so I'll just wrap up here. Um, Yeah, thanks for sharing all of this. I mean, sometimes I feel after, oftentimes I feel after talking with you, I just uh, get a better understanding of um, what's going on technically, especially under the hood. Um, It's interesting to me that um, FSD is pushing ahead and compared to where it was last year when we drove it in the summer, um, when we met up, compared to now, Mm -hmm. it's just, mind-blowing the improvements and it's so it's so interesting Mm. you juxtapose that to a lot of the perception of skeptics and people who aren't following they just don't think tesla's Mm. doing anything they think it's just completely vaporware whereas tesla is really heads down i think doing the right thing improving and it's not just one thing that it's a multitude multitude of things you need to improve to to get this right but they're really aggressively uh, pushing forward and it's uh it's super impressive. I mean, yeah, what are your kind of last thoughts with all this?
0: It, yeah, I'm I'm happy with the progress. I'm glad to see that they're still moving. I the, the biggest fear, you know, uh, and as long as we as long as this doesn't happen, eventually we get there. As long as you don't hit a local minimum whatever that you can't escape. Like mm-hmm. you hit a wall and stop making progress. You will eventually get there. Like yeah. we don't have a really good real world understanding of exactly how hard driving is because we don't have an existence proof in, in a machine of a, something that can drive where you can point out and you can say, well, this is how hard the problem is. Yeah. It's this hard because this machine can do it because we don't actually know in those kinds of terms, how hard the problem is. Uh, you know, it's, e- you can be very uncomfortable about whether you're, you're or not, you're going to get there. But you know, one simple fact, is true, like if if you continue to make good progress, eventually you're going to get there. However hard it It is, is. you're going to get there. And the progress is exponential. I mean, it doesn't feel exponential, but progress is exponential. Like they're not, they're describing all of these improvements as percentages against the previous version. And you know, that's that's exponential improvement. Like if you constantly make, you know, same scale percentage wise improvements on your previous version, you're improving exponentially over time. And that means yeah. even if the problem is, you know, if the problem is, uh, you know, uh, exponentially harder than you think it is, but your improvement is at an exponential rate, then the, then the amount of time it takes you to solve the problem is only linearly larger. It's not exponentially larger. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So sure. it's the difference between, you know, it taking a year or two years to get there. It's not the difference between taking a year or a 100 years to get there. Right. And so that's very. Um, encouraging to me yeah. to to see that they continue to make exponential progress against this problem
1: yeah yeah definitely um good stuff um right now i'm gonna uh, pack, head out to badlands national park have you been there to badlands before
0: yes yeah. uh we did uh, you know it's funny when we went it was mm-hmm. early enough that the supercharger network was was I re- I remember Badlands was it was the first place where we you know that we took a trip in in our car and we looked at it and were like there's no supercharger there <laughs> <Cut> <laughs> which <in> means <laughs> We need to, you know, have enough charge in the car to get out there, go around the park, and then come back to where we are. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, there was no, there's, there's no, there wasn't anything on the other side of it that we yeah. could, I don't think that's true anymore. Yeah. But I, I remember <laughs> this because we were really concerned about it. We'd never had to do that thing before. And then we went out to Badlands and we drove all the way around. Yeah, you know, we charged the car to 100%, drove out to Badlands. We met other people who had Teslas that were also there, you know. So, That's and then cool. and then we drove back, and we ended up having like forty percent charge left over. Like I was <laughs> really impressed that the car did so much better than my were, than my expectations are. I think that was the last time I worried about range. Actually, uh-huh. that was probably 20, 2017. Yeah, it was fun. It's super pretty. Yeah, yeah, so no, I I'm, yeah,
1: I'm impressed. I I don't think I've ever been to South Dakota before this trip, and it's just been awesome. Um, yeah, it's been fun. And then we're headed to Colorado, down to Colorado, spending a few weeks down there, the Rocky Mountain National Park and other places. So it should be fun. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, James. Uh, thanks for uh, ch- uh, taking the time to chat. Um, I appreciate it for sure. I'm sure a, a lot of other people also um, will appreciate it. So have a great day. We'll talk to you again.
0: Take care. It was nice seeing you again.
1: All right.